appreciate the presence of each one. We have some visiting. Some of our folks are out of town. It's a holiday weekend for some, I think, and some are on the road. But we're grateful for your presence. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad that you've taken the time to stop and, and to worship uh, with us. And uh, our prayers will be with you as you continue on your way if you're, if you're traveling. There's a rhetorical device that we use sometimes in just our everyday speech, but in literature and various ways, called an oxymoron. Might be familiar with the term oxymoron. It's when uh, two opposite things are put together to form one idea, like jumbo shrimp. It's kind of an oxymoron. Well, when I survey the wondrous cross, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? The wondrous cross. There's not very much wondrous about a cross. Being crucified and humiliated, degraded, dehumanized, uh, nailed to the cross, exposed for everybody to see. And yet, to those of us who believe, it's a wondrous thing, isn't it? Oh, it's meant to be an instrument of shame and de degradation. But to us, it's a wonderful thing. It's the wondrous cross. So I appreciate the song as we have sung it and the comments at the table. And, just kind of inspired those thoughts in me. I thought I would share them. Well, there seem to be a lot of competing ideas in the world today. And as we look at things going on around us, see events in the news and what's taking place in the world, or we just look at what's going on in our own lives, or what's happening to us or our friends, or the things that we hear about going on in our circle of acquaintances, we might not be quite sure what to think about everything. How, how should I think about the world? How, how, what, should, what opinion should I have about this event? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it right? Is it wrong? What, what should I think about it all? And we might feel like, like this. Should, should I go this way or that way? I'm not quite sure. How, how do I decide which direction to go in? Or is the answer yes or no? Should, should I approve or should I disapprove? Or should I engage in this and participate in it? Or, or should I not? I, I'm not quite sure what, what to do about it. Or is, is it over here or is it over there? You know, maybe what we're looking for, what we want or desire in life. Maybe, maybe it's over here in this direction or... Or maybe it's over in that direction. I'm, I'm not quite sure. And how do I decide? Or is what I'm hearing the truth or is it a lie? We hear all kinds of things, especially these days, in the political arena or on the news or just among our friends. Or, or we hear all sorts of things. And especially with the proliferation of the Internet and social media and access to all sorts of opinions, what, what is truth? And what is a lie? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? How, how should I determine these things? What should I think about what's going on around me? Well, the facts, as we noted a week or two ago, are really very clear. Fewer people in our country are going to church. F fewer people pray. Fewer people believe in God. Fewer people know or even read the Bible. On the other hand, there are more what I've called naturalists. Well, what they think is all that exists is the natural order. This natural physical world, this natural physical universe 
in our natural physical sense. That's all there is. There, there is no spirit world. There's no spiritual dimension. It's just a natural universe, and we're just part of it. There are more and more relativists and subjectivists. What, what, what's that? A relativist is somebody that thinks there's no absolute standard of right and wrong. It's all relative depending on your circumstances. It's not always wrong to lie. Sometimes it's a good idea to lie. It's not always wrong to steal. It might be a good idea to steal under, the, under certain circumstances. It's not always wrong to commit adultery. It might be a good idea to commit adultery on, on some occasions depending on the circumstances. And how do you decide? Well, it's, you just kind of have a gut feeling about it, you know. And so truth is relative and truth is subjective. There's no objective standard of truth. And so more and more people think that way. There are more and more secularists. The idea of religion, especially organized religion, is, just doesn't have an effect on their lives. There are more and more hedonists pursuing pleasure and whatever satisfies them or brings them pleasure or joy, whatever it might be, and, and in excess, and more and more individualists. What you have to do, what is good for you. <laughs> I have to do what's good for me as an individual. And uh, what other people think or other people do really doesn't have any impact on my life. More and more people in our world see organized religion in general and Christianity in particular as at best being irrelevant for a good society and maybe even harmful to our society. Now they say, well, Jesus might have been a good man, but the religion that has developed around Jesus, now that's a bad thing because you see it inhibits people from enjoying life. It, it dictates to them what they can and can't do. And, and so it imprisons them and, and prevents them from, from the pleasure they, 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 they would enjoy. Well, these ideas are promoted in the universities by scholars and academics. But the ideas trickle down to the common man. How? How, how do they trickle down? Not, not all of us will take a class in philosophy at the university, but, but we're exposed to the ideas. How? In the movies we watch, in the television shows that we watch, in the books that we read, in the music we listen to. These ideas, relativism, subjectivism, all of those things trickle down to the common man, are accepted, and then they spread. Consequently, some claim that we live in a post-Christian world. Have you come across that term? We live in a post-Christian world. Now there might have been a time in years gone by when most of the people in society in general was heavily influenced by Christianity and the, the teachings of Christianity and the principles of Christianity. But see, we've moved beyond that now. We, we don't accept that anymore. And so we live in a post-Christian world. Now, I don't know that I believe that altogether, but I can see where if it's not true today, it might be true in the next generation or certainly the next. And so how should we respond to, 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 to this, to this increasing secularization, subjectivism, relativism, all of those kinds? How should we respond to that in our lives? 
1 Peter chapter 3, you might remember, says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yeah, with gentleness and, and reverence. Be ready. How should we respond? We, we need to be ready to make a good response, at least for ourselves. And when I say make a response, I don't mean stand on a pulpit and preach or get on a public address system and, and proclaim your views or... I'm just saying in yourself, how, how do you respond? How do we respond individually as Christians to the world around us as it seems to be moving further and further away from the Bible and biblical principles? Well, I want to try to give us some guidance today and maybe in the lessons to come, develop some lessons, some sermons that will help us to think biblically in a secular society. I started to call it shaping your thinking spiritually in a secular society, all those S's. I thought, well, that's a little complicated. Thinking biblically. We want to think biblically. As we see something happening in the news, we want to think, now, now what does the Bible have to say about that? What are the biblical principles that ought to use to judge that, to make an evaluation of that? And when we see things going on in our lives or in the lives of our friends or we hear about what they're involved in, now, now what are the principles in the Bible that apply to that, that ought to shape my thinking and influence the way I, I behave toward that? We think biblically in a secular society. And so we're going to start just by looking at Scripture today. We're going to talk, think about... Uh, this is the starting place, thinking biblically. We're going to start by asking the question, why think scripturally or biblically in our effort to understand, understand the world? Well, don't jump ahead of me too far, but the first thing I'll suggest, why, why turn to Scripture? Well, the Scriptures have a long, successful history in these matters. In other words... People have been turning to the Bible for a long, long time to make sense of the world, uh, to, 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 to garner principles that help them see what's going on in the world and understand it and evaluate it and see their place and how they ought to respond to it. You know, the Bible answers the big questions for us, the big questions of life that people have been wrestling with for centuries. Where did I come from? Well, the Bible answers that question. Who am I? Well, you're made in the image of God. The Bible answers that question. Where are we going? Well, the Bible answers that. We're headed for eternity and a day of judgment. Now, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What's going to give my life meaning and purpose? Well, the Bible answers that question. Fear God and keep His commandments. We're created for fellowship with God. And so, so the Bible gives us a foundation and a framework upon which or by which we can judge the world around us. The philosophies of men and the isms of men don't really do that. In uh, Moby Dick, Herman Melville, in a little section, talks about physiognomy. I didn't know what physiognomy was, really, so I had to look it up. It's, it's the idea that you can ascertain the character of a person by their physical features. So if a person has a big nose, well, that, that has something about his character. If a person has thin lips, that says something about his close-set eyes or eyes set apart or he's tall or 
All of that, according to physiognomy, says something about his character. And I don't know if anybody believes that seriously anymore. No serious scientist would, would, would say that. But, but Melville says this, physiognomy, like every other human science, is but a passing fable. Apologies to scientists among us. <laughs> and the, the idea is this. If there are things that we believe are fact today, we, we believe that they are just fact. A hundred years from now, 500 years from now, a thousand years from now, people will look back and chuckle. Can you believe they really thought that was true? <laughs> now, no, 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 no doubt that there are things that we believe today that are fact. But so much is going to change. Just like we look back at the middle 19th century and, and we just scratch our head, how could anybody think there was any kind of relevance to physiognomy? <laughs> Melville says physiognomy, like every other human science, is put passing fable. Every humanism is a passing fable. At one time, Stoicism was uh, you know, a relevant approach to life. I, I haven't met a Stoic in a long time. Or at one time, Zoroastrianism was widely held. I don't think I've ever met a Zoroastrian. The isms of man come and go. The philosophies of men rise and fall. They are popular. They're rejected. You see, the Bible is different. It continues to provide us with the answers we need. Now, we may not always like the answers, but the Bible now for 2,000 years, 2,000 years, you know, it, just, it just kind of boggles my mind that, that people will come out and, and they'll promote this idea or that idea that has arisen over the last 35, 40 years and think that's absolutely true. The Bible has stood for over 2,000, some of it 3,000 years. And we think the latest trends in sociology or morality, whatever, that, that's somehow going to supersede the ancient text. Well, it, it's ridiculous. And so, although there have been many attempts to silence it and ban it and ridicule it and neutralize it, the Bible stands and is providing and has provided satisfactory answers to the big questions in our lives for all that time. Why, why go to the Bible? Why shape our thinking and our attitude about life and about the world and about the event? Why the Bible? It has stood the test of time. That's one reason. But there's an even better reason. It's the Word of God. Now I'm going to take the time, just a few minutes, to kind of look through several passages that we refer to a lot or might quote from time to time. But I just want to take a few minutes to to read them and draw your careful attention to them that support the idea. The Bible is the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul has just told Timothy to uh, abide in the things that he's learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. From childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to salvation. And then he says, all Scripture is inspired by God. So notice that. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be adequate, 
equipped for every good work. The idea is, an English Standard Version says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so God is breathing His message into the man that write these books. That's the source of Scripture. It is the inspired Word of God. We noted this passage in our Bible study in the auditorium this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now notice that. Just so slow down, observe what he says. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Isaiah didn't just make up his own message. Jeremiah didn't make it up as he went along. These men are moved by the Spirit to speak and to say what they said. Now a good illustration of that is Jeremiah chapter 1. And so go over to Jeremiah chapter 1, the very beginning of the book. We see God's call of Jeremiah to do his work as a prophet. And he says in verse 7, the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Now Jeremiah's not making up his message out of his own wit. All that I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See it? I've put my words in your mouth. So all Scripture is inspired by God. And men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Jeremiah says, the Lord put His words in my mouth. Why should we go to the Bible? The Bible is the Word of God. Let's go back to the New Testament, look at a few other passages. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, Jesus is meeting with His apostles in the upper room. The night before, He's <coughs> betrayed and then led away to be crucified. And He says in verse 26 of John 14, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in My name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Spirit is going to come upon you, and He will teach you all things. And so again, they're not, they're not just making up their message out of thin air or, or even making their best guess about what they ought to teach. No, the Spirit is going to come upon you, and He will teach you all things. Chapter 15, same book, John, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He'll testify about me. And you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. So the Spirit, notice that he's described here as the Spirit of truth. Just highlighting this characteristic of the Spirit. He's the Spirit who's going to lead you into the truth. He's going to teach you the truth. He's the source of truth. And so he's going to come upon you and he'll testify concerning me. And then John 16 and verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But He, when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He'll disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me. He will take of Mine 
and will disclose it to you. And so again, you see the process there, don't you? The Spirit takes from Christ and then takes it and discloses it to, he's talking to the apostles here. And so when we go over to, for example, Ephesians chapter 3, it's no wonder that Paul says this, beginning in verse 4. Well, let's back up a little bit, verse 3. By revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote in brief. By revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before. And by referring to this you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to us, to His holy apostles and prophets, in the Spirit. That's what Jesus said, and the Spirit will come upon you, and it will guide you into the truth. And Paul says, you know, what I'm writing has been given to me, revealed to me by the Spirit. Perfectly consistent with what Jesus said. And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a very similar statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But this is even a little bit more explicit. Verse, 11, verse 10, for, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, that is, things which eyes not seen and ears not heard, which have not entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love Him. And so, and so Paul's referring to the plan of God, the, what God has prepared for those who love them. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we speak. What's that? The things that were given to us by God. Which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those, that is, in words taught by the Spirit. I say this is even a little bit more explicit because now he's getting right down to the very words. <laughs> the words taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual things with spiritual words. Just, just another indication that what we're reading in the Bible is the Word of God. Why should my thinking be shaped by the, by the Bible? When I look at the news and I see something going on, and I, well, let me see, what, what does the Bible say about that? Why would I think in that way? Well, the Bible's the Word of God. God is the sustainer, the creator, the all-wise, the omniscient, who has all understanding. And so, yes, of course, we appeal to His Word. Finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. And when we came and we taught you and you received our teaching, not, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, the Bible looks like it was written by men and uh, might in time sound like it's written by men. And some might conclude that it's nothing more than the product of human beings. But actually what's going on is that God is guiding these human beings. He's, he's moving these human beings to write His will. So, yes, Paul wrote 
Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so But God is revealing to him and moving him to write these things so that what we have is not simply the word of men, but the word of God. It is objectively the word of God. That is, it's the word of God whether I accept it as the word of God or not, you know. That's what we mean by objectively the Word of God. Some people have the idea that, well, the Bible is the Word of God as it speaks to you. And so as you read it and you're moved by it and you're motivated, it inspires you and moves you in some way, it becomes the Word of God to you. No, no. Mm -mm. Now, the Bible is the Word of God whether it moves us or not, <laughs> whether it motivates us or not, whether it inspires us or not. It is the Word of God. It's objectively the Word of God. We hope that it does move us and inspire us and all those things. But whether it does or not, and there are a lot of people that it doesn't have that effect on, it, it's still God's Word. And the words of Jesus support this. John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So why go to the Bible as our guide to understand the world and our place in it? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of the Almighty the wise, the omnipresent, the creator, the sustainer who governs the world according to His will. Of course, we go to the Bible as our guide. And so people want to know, what, what do you think? Why, why do you think that way? Look, my, my thinking is shaped by Scripture, okay? What I think is influenced by Scripture, and that's inconsistent with what Scripture teaches that's incompatible with what Scripture teaches. So I, I can't approve of that. You're a wonderful person in many ways. <laughs> but see, it's contrary to Scripture what you're doing. And so I, can't, I just can't give my endorsement or proof of it. Just as simple as that. Well, I thought this might happen. We're almost out of time. Let's go to Psalm 119. What will the Scriptures do for us? This is a psalm that's written by, well, it's anonymous. We don't know who it was written by. And he's in a bad situation. He's got some allies, some people that fear the Lord like he does. But, but he's surrounded by enemies. He's surrounded by detractors. He's surrounded, he says in one passage, by men that are double-minded, who oppose the law of God. They're, they're breaking the law of God. In verse 95, he refers to those who, who would destroy him. They are reproaching him and lying about him, making false accusations about him. Oh, so he's in a bad situation. He's got some allies, but the world around him seems to be opposed to him. That's kind of like our world, isn't it? We've got some allies. We've got some people that think like us. There might be some people at school that, that, that think like you or a few people at work that think the way you do. But, but there are lots of people around you that they... they Boy, they think all the way, altogether differently than we do. And so, what does this psalmist do? He goes back to the Word. The 119th Psalm is really a, a meditation on the Word of God. Let's look at uh, beginning in verse 97. He says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. They're ever mine. What will the Scripture do for you? Well, the Scriptures make you wiser than your enemies. And we might not think of the people around us as our enemies, but people that would subvert uh, the, 
faith in God and would subvert the teaching of Scripture, they're the enemy. They might be nice people in, in many ways, but if they're subverting faith in God and subverting the Scripture, that's the enemy. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. People that set their mind on earthly things and undermine faith in God and undermine biblical godliness, as if there were any other kind, <laughs> that, that's the enemy. And so it makes us wiser than our enemies. Wisdom has to do with the principles that we live by. A wise person understands life. He can develop principles that enable him to avoid serious mistakes in life and bring about benefit instead. How, what's the best decision to make? Well, I'm going to formulate a set of principles in my mind that are going to help me avoid mistakes and do, and do what's going to benefit me. I understand life. I understand how it works. And so that's a wise person, isn't it? Well, the Scriptures make us wise. They supply to us those principles. Now, we know that a life based on self-indulgence and the absence of restraint especially as it's embraced by society at large, is doomed to failure. You might know people like that. They've given their life to debauchery. <laughs> they just live for the flesh and indulge the flesh to excess. That's their goal in life. And they've brought hardship on themselves in that way. You, you may know some people like that. Their life is a disaster. It's a mess. It's a terrible situation because they've lived a worldly life instead of a biblical life. On the other hand, see, Scripture teaches us to be self-controlled. I discipline my body daily. Bring it unto subjection, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It teaches us to avoid worldly lusts that war against the soul, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. It teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly, in this present world, Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. And what's the result of all that? Avoiding worldly lust, practicing self-control, living godly in the present world. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. Now that's the life I want to live. <laughs> joy, peace. Don't, 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 how do you get that? by walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. We want to think scripturally or biblically. We want our thinking shaped by Scripture because it makes us wise. It gives us more insight than our teachers. Teachers should have insight into the subjects they teach. They've had years of special training that should provide insight or at least give them the training necessary to acquire insight. But the untrained person who knows God's Word has more insight even than his teachers. You might have a teacher that believes that the universe just popped into being. Or maybe the universe is eternal. <laughs> he's, got, he's got an advanced degree. He's a very smart person, or she's a very smart person. But they believe that the things just happen by random chance. And you might be a beginner in that field, but... 
If your thinking is shaped by Scripture, you, you understand more than your teacher does. We understand that many problems in the world are the result of our sin, our pride, our stubbornness, our greed, our lust, our jealousy, our ambition, our anger. The teachers of this world would only apply band-aids to the problem and never get to the root, the sin problem that's in the world. You see, if your thinking is shaped by Scripture, you have more insight even than your teachers in many things. We understand that true happiness doesn't come with more things, but fewer, with contentment. Happiness doesn't come with more power, but in service. And it doesn't come with more of the flesh, but with more of the Spirit. We understand there's a purpose in life, to live in harmony with God who made us. This is why we were made the way we were made, in the image of God, so that we can have fellowship with Him. And when we're in fellowship with God, when we're in tune with God, and we're walking hand in hand with God, you know what we've got in life? Again, joy and peace and happiness. Do you want insight into the ways of the world or into th why things the way they are? Well, develop a biblically-based approach to life. And then the Scriptures make us wiser than the aged, give us more understanding than the aged. You think that wisdom comes with age, right? And, and often it does. You know? And so life's experiences, as we acquire more and more experience as, as the years go on, and, and we're paying attention, and, and we're thinking about our lives, and thinking about why things are the way they are. You know, age will bring wisdom many times, but you know, sometimes age just makes a person set in his ways. And you know, a, a decadent young man becomes a decadent old man. <laughs> and if that's the case, a young person whose shape, thinking is shaped by Scripture understands even more than the aged. In fact, the 119th Psalm, and uh, in verse 9, this question is asked, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And so, do you want to be, have more understanding than the aged? Well, your thinking needs to be shaped by Scripture. You want more insight than your teachers? Well, then you need a knowledge of Scripture. You need to have that framework, that, that foundation supplied by Scripture by which to make evaluations of the world around you. And you want to be wiser than your enemies. You know, that that's a, would be a fundamental... Uh, principle for success, wouldn't it be wiser than your enemies? Well, then it comes through Scripture. So what, what do we say to the skeptic, the relativist, the humanist? We say, my thinking is shaped by Scripture. I have a biblical point of view. What I think, my opinion, my judgment, is determined by what Scripture says. It's the Word of God. And so this is my evaluation. It's either right or it's wrong. It's truth or a lie. It's good or evil. And we'll talk some more about these things, I hope, in the weeks to come, but it's a good place to start. Start with Scripture. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you have revealed your Scriptures to us. You've, you've revealed your Word to us, that, and revealed to us your mind, what you would have us to know. 
We're thankful, Father, that it's been preserved for us, that we have access to it, that we can read it, and we can understand it. Help us, Father, to diligently study Your Word so that we can think in harmony with Your will and that we can act in harmony with Your will. Give us an accurate evaluation of things that are going on in our world, in the world at large, but in our own personal world as well. Help us to see right from wrong. Help us to discern good from evil and truth from lie. And help us hold on, Father, to the right, to the good, to the truth, so that we might glorify You, that we might be happy and joyful and peaceful in our lives, and that in the end we might spend eternity with You in glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're with us today, you're not a Christian, you're ready to